0: Go ahead, have a seat, ushers going to come forward, let's give out of how God has given to us, because it's all from him, it's all for him. Uh, my name is Ken, I get to be the campus pastor here, uh, and Mountain View has a plan, a policy for all full-time pastors. Uh, once every seven years, so 84 months. Once you work 84 months, you get three for reloading, resting, coming back better. Uh, We call it sabbatical. My sabbatical starts Friday. So this is my last Sunday here until April 7th. It's going to kind of be like shaking up a soda can for two months and then opening it. I'm excited for that, even if the front row isn't. Uh, But... Uh, but it's going to be a time of visiting a bunch of churches and reading a lot of books and seeing what is working in other places that we want to export and launch at Mountain View Sunnyside to reach more people here. So when you show up next week and I'm not here, uh, Pastor John from the Exchange is here. Uh, that's why. This is 100% planned, it is not reactive in uh, in like any ounce of it. It's 100% planned. It's not like I was on the roof at main campus last week shouting threats at people uh, or looking like Sean Payton on Sunday. Like, this is a million percent planned. So today we are continuing our series called Beyond and it looks at what it costs for all of us, the good news, the good life that it has for all of us to love people within these walls the way that Jesus would and more importantly love everyone else outside of these walls because as as a church we are the world's most backwards community because we love everybody who's not in our club who's not in our community. We love everybody else on the outside, and we want them to join. So we're looking at beyond, because what does it mean for us to go beyond where we are and where we are now, and for us to become the church, the people, the family that God created us to be? And the first week, we looked at how that gets into our wallet and how it works its way out from our wallet. And last week, we looked at how that takes over our lives and turns us into messengers of the good news about Jesus. And this week, what we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at the why behind, the why and the what Behind everything. And as Christians, we call this the gospel. Uh, it's, it means good news. And what's the good news behind everything? In short, and we're going to look at this in like eight different ways today, but the gospel is not about something we do but all that god has done for us it's the story of god reaching into our world god connecting with the human condition where we see things in the world and we experience things and we look at it and we say god this is not right if you're here and you have no relationship with god you don't even think that god exists that thing inside of you that looks at the world looks at brokenness look at people who are being oppressed and hurt and you're like that is not right Part of the way that God exists, that we see that God exists, is how God reaches into those areas where we agree with him, and even if we don't believe in him, that that's not right, and God does something about it. As Christians, that is the gospel. And for us, it's based on what God did. And this Sunday, last Sunday, there was an instance in the football game that, that connects us with that. All right, we got a picture of what happened in football. It's called pass interference. If you whack a guy before the ball gets there, that's called pass interference. Uh, and the guy in the white shirt whacked the guy in the black shirt. He even said it after the game. Was that a clean play? Guy in the white shirt who went to USC, so I used to like him. Uh, he says, I whacked the guy. Not even like it was a bad call. He says, or a no call, because NFC means no flag called, uh, NFC championship game, I whacked the guy. And so the black guy, the black shirt guy, coach, he went absolutely nuts. He's like, you missed the play. And he's telling the refs that they blew it. And now the whole city of New Orleans is telling the NFL that the Saints got robbed because they're supposed to be pass interference. It's a whole city yelling out to the commissioner, yelling out to the NFL, yelling out to the ref, who could have been Stevie Wonder, you missed it, you blew it, we got robbed. This is messed up. And part of that is where we see God's interaction in our lives. For all the areas where we look at God and say, God, this is messed up. This is broken. Things have been done to me that cause me harm. People have done things that have hurt me. And we also have to look at the flip side of that, that you and I have all done things in life that hurt people. And what God does in the gospel is he takes on human form to do and make right what we've done and also make right who we are as individuals. Some people wanted to rewind the tape on the NFL game and, and restart it right before that penalty happened and say, let, let's let the players figure it out by themselves. For the record, the refs did not give up the game tying field goal or the game winning field goal. So New Orleans just settled down. But what God does is God reaches into human history, takes on skin. As Jesus, he goes, he lays down his life for all creation to make things right. And for us, that's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what we do. In life, so many things we get because we do. This is not one of them. The gospel is not just advice that we're supposed to follow. It's good to follow good advice. It's good to have people around you who will give you advice. But this is not the gospel. The gospel is not advice. The gospel is also not just make better moral choices and be a better human. Like, that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't God's rehab, planet for planet, or God's rehab plan for planet Earth. Like, homicides are down 50% in Fresno in 2018. That's a good thing, but that's not the gospel. That's the effects of the gospel and the effects of a city working hard to take care of people. The gospel is also not action steps to earn God's love. It's not action steps, things that we do to show God, okay, you can love me now. This weekend is women's retreat. So some of the women here are heading out to that. Husbands, that means that your wives are going to be gone for three days. And when Anna is gone, or whenever she comes home, I want the house to look spotless. And keep this in mind, this is dude spotless, so I don't see everything like she sees everything. I see the counters, I see the floor, I see maybe moving the kids outside for three days so like the house stays clean and stuff. Because when she walks in after being gone for three days, I want her to walk into a house that looks dude clean. Not girl clean, guy clean. Because they are two very different things as I find out. I do that because I'm motivated by my love for her. It's 15 years of us being together as a husband and wife. We've got a picture of what that used to look like. Uh, For me, she's identical. I have a few hair apparent uh, differences. But it's not to prove my love to her. It's action that's motivated by love. And for us in the gospel, we see God's love poured out for us to motivate in us a response, motivate in us a desire to serve God and live for God. The gospel is what God did for us to bring us into relationship with him. And a guy named Paul, who used to hate Christians until the day he became one, explains this in 1 Corinthians 15. This is where we're going to be. We're going to only read four verses and just kind of camp in this today and the effects that these have over everything. He says this in verse one. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It's the good news that saves you even if That saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Paul's writing to a group of people who are far from Jesus, and Jesus came in, and and everything about their life changed, which means that now they're following Jesus with a lot of stuff hanging out from their old life. And so he's building up the story. He's building up where he's going with this. He's saying, this is the good news that saves you if you believe it. Because, you know, you used to believe some other stuff. So let's look at this. What is worth believing? In verse 3 behind me, it says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said." And right in there, that's the gospel. That's the good news of what we experience as, as Jesus followers. Because of who he is, because of what God did, we can have a relationship with Jesus talked about the things that are in there, the things that are talked about in there. I passed on to you what was most important to me, that Christ died for our sins. It wasn't just a death for death's sake, it was a death for our sake, that he was buried and that he rose from the dead after, after being dead for three days, that God raised him back to life. That he hung on a cross that had been perfected by the Romans. He was sentenced by the Jews. He was executed by the Romans. And then he was laid in a tomb because you don't expect people laid in a tomb to come back to life. So on the cross, he absorbed every single one of our sins. It was a death on purpose. It was a death for a purpose. And that purpose was you and me. And on the cross, Jesus experienced separation from God. So that we could be united from God. Jesus experienced, or united with God. Jesus experienced the separation that we deserve. And on that, it killed him. The effects of the cross, the effects of being separated from God killed him. And so they buried him. And three days later, God rose him from the dead. And Jesus walked out of the grave. And this is the moment where where God brings everything together. Because Jesus is announcing and being alive, demonstration that he is the king who was killed for us. And he's also the king who lives in authority over sin, in authority over death, and in authority over the devil as he demonstrates by walking out of his own grave. And so the gospel is good news because it's also about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's about two events. It's about things that happened. It's not just about what God has done for us. It's about what things really happened that people saw. It's about an event. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a way of life. It's something that people saw. It's a guy that, that died and then people had breakfast with him three days later. The gospel is good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not just a philosophy, not just a way of life, but of something that happened and people saw it. When Jesus died, every Jesus follower thought at that moment that it was game over. Let's pack this up. Let's go back to where we came from. It's a long walk from Jerusalem to Galilee, so we better get started early from where Jesus' life ended to where it began. You better get started. And three days later, I mean, it's not like people are outside the tomb with a big sign that says two hours, 23 minutes, 23 hours, two days, 23 hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds. Nobody's tacking that thing down. Everybody thought that he was dead and gone. But the gospel is good news from a death and resurrection of Jesus, from two events that really, really happened. And that means that the gospel is good news announcing that you and I have been rescued and saved. The good news, that word in, in the original language as it's talked about in the New Testament, means three things. One is it's an actual proclamation. That there is some good news that needs to happen. After a battle, there would be a good news person who shows up at the city to say either good news, we won, or bad news, the referees robbed us and we lost. And so that act was a good news person proclaiming good news. And so for us as Christians, we announce the good news. We are good newsers who good news, good news. Because for us, Jesus talked about the good news all the time. He talked about how he is the way to God. He is the truth. He is the life. And there's no other way apart, or way to God apart from himself. So he made it really clear verbally you look at the books after Jesus, was, after Jesus came and after Jesus died, rose back to life, and then totally alive, ascended up to heaven, and it's suddenly the church run by people like us who go around talking, going verbal, announcing good newsing this good news. And we look at that today in a world that says you can't talk about religious stuff, you can't say this, and we live by, we live by sayings that aren't true. Like there's one that a lot of people can say, and you've probably heard it, uh, but you're supposed to preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. All right, that's kind of like having a pet unicorn in your backyard, okay? It'd be really, really cool to have, but it's not happening anytime soon. Jesus used words. The early church used words. We use words when we're going to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Our lives, or at least me, my life isn't clean enough to be able to tell everybody just by the, like my actions without using words about who Jesus is. We announce the good news. There's a story I read in a book, About a woman who goes out of town, stays with some friends. Uh, It's Saturday night. They say, hey, tomorrow morning, get up because we're going to church and it's going to be great and you'll love it. She's never been to church. She doesn't do the whole Christian thing at all. So she goes to church and she meets Jesus. She finds out that there's a God who actually loves her. That there's a Jesus who came to die for her. That the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of her and make her more like God. And so she becomes a Christian that day. She left her house, not a Christian. She became a Christian at this place, out of town, and now she's going back home. And so she goes back home, she gets on Google, and she finds out, where's the closest church to my house? Cool, there's one right outside my neighborhood. So she drives to the church on Sunday, and all of a sudden seeing, like she's sitting there in church, and she sees all of her neighbors walking in. And so before church, she walks around to all of her neighbors and says, you're the worst Christian in the world. You've known me for 10 years, and you never invited me to church. What's wrong with you? I could have gone to hell, and you never said anything. Like, we can look at that reading the book and think that's really funny. But if it happened to us, that'd just be bad. The good news is good news to be announced that we've been rescued and saved. We want to be good newsers who are constantly good news and good news because the gospel is meant to be shared. It's meant to be spread. The gospel is also good news that's meant to be believed. Verse 2, it says, this is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Like, it's really clear there. This is something that we believe. You read the stories about Jesus that are in the Bible, and you see Jesus surrounded by honestly, a bunch of less thans, people who say the wrong things, people who run away scared when they're supposed to be standing strong, and then something happens that takes these people who used to run from when they're scared, and used to always say the wrong things around God, and it makes them rock-solid, death-defying followers of Jesus, and the reason is, is because they saw something. They believed something that happened. They saw their friend murdered and then they saw their friend's tomb empty and their friend, their friend standing up talking to them. The gospel is good news to be believed. And one thing, one way that this is believable for us is the difference that Jesus and his resurrection impacts and makes us treat other people. Because nobody treats people better than Jesus' followers. I mean, we can all think of exceptions, people who are totally exceptions to the rule of be nice to people and don't be a jerk, Uh, but but throughout history, the people who have treated other people the best are Christians. Jesus followers start hospitals. Jesus followers start schools. Jesus followers start organizations that feed hungry people and clothe people who don't have clothes. This is what it is to be a Jesus follower is that it's believable in our hearts and then it takes action through our hands. And the point about this for us as Jesus followers isn't that we have a bunch of well-educated, well healed well-clothed, well-fed people who are miles away from Jesus and headed to an eternity without him in a place called hell, but that people believe the good news that motivates all of our actions. Like I said, it's not about what we do, but it's about what Jesus has done for us because the gospel is good news to be believed. And today, if you have no relationship with Jesus, If you think, where am I going to, when I die, if it was today, if it was 80 years from now, where am I going to go? The gospel, the good news about Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross to absorb our sin, what that does is it gives us peace with God. That regardless of what we've done in life, regardless of what we've done, maybe even today, that because of who Jesus is, because of Jesus' sacrifice, poured out his blood shed for our behalf. When we stand before God, God doesn't see all the things that we've done. God doesn't see our substance history. God doesn't see our sexual history. God doesn't see our web browser history. God doesn't see the words that we've said to the people that he's put around us. God sees Jesus' perfect blood shed for us to cover our sins. So instead of seeing us and all of our us-ness, God sees Jesus' perfection poured out over us. And if you've never made that decision to become a Christian, you can do that today. Someone will pray with you. It'll be the best decision you've ever made because you're going to find forgiveness today. You're going to find God invading heaven, moving into your life. It's the ultimate fixer-upper project to move into one of us. And God says, I'm all about it to the point that I'm going to come and I'm going to make that possible myself. Because it's the gospel and it's good news. It's good news also for the whole world. Here at Mountain View Sunnyside, we love to talk about the world and what God is doing in the world. It's good news to be believed here in Sunnyside, in Southeast Fresno. And it's also good news to be believed in the world. Last week, we talked about some places where, stuff's being diff- where stuff is flat out difficult for Christians that we have a relationship with. If you weren't here, you want to listen to the podcast, which is great, because you can find us on iTunes, look up Mountain View Sunnyside, and a bunch of my voice will pop up. And what's even more exciting is you can listen to it at double speed, because seriously, that's what the world needs, is me at double speed. But one of the things that we talked about was uh, a country in Southeast Asia with a pastor that we support, and his name is Saw. Uh, that's Pastor Saw behind me with his wife and kids, uh, and they were having a church service outdoors in a place where Christianity is illegal, uh, and so the military came in with guns and started shooting, uh, and everybody ran, and two kids were killed. So we're like, how is this good news for the world? One, we said that when Jesus comes into the world with skin on and lays his life down on the cross, that he's paying the penalty for the things that the gunmen did that day. That if God needs to be mad at somebody for that, that God is gonna be mad at Jesus, just like God is mad at Jesus for the things that we did, that Jesus took on our punishment, that God wasn't mad that God was saying, and this is how I'm gonna deal with what needs to be made, right? Somebody had to die, and so Jesus was the one who said, I'm gonna to die to pay for the penalty of our sin.'" And it's good news for the world because in that, there are people who got baptized this week. Like the church continues to move forward. The church continues to, to see people come to faith in Jesus. The good news continues to be believed. Even in places where it's the most difficult, it's going to happen. And so last Sunday, they baptized 16 people. Tuesday, there was a... <clears throat> Tuesday was tragedy. Sunday was new life. Because the gospel is good news for the whole world. If you're here and you're not of Jewish descent, like this is part of how it affects us. At the end of his life on earth before he ascended to heaven fully alive, Jesus said, I want all of you to go everywhere and tell everyone about me. And so for us to be non-Jews and to be believers in Jesus, that's because the good news is for the world and people before us have taken it to the world, which sometimes meant us, at one point meant us. And so it's good news for the whole world. And the gospel is also good news of love and freedom. And it's good news of love and freedom for everyone. We are all called equally to lay down our old way of doing life, take on Jesus' way of life, and walk toward him. But that offer of lay down your old life is for everyone. Paul, the guy who's writing this stuff in, in 1 Corinthians 15 about I'm telling you what's most important, before in a different book, he explains it really well. He says, let me give you a picture of how great God's love is for you. God sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. That means while we were still living in darkness, before we did anything good, Jesus took the first step. Jesus took the first step to say that everyone has the opportunity to find love and find freedom through God's work. And that's good for us because as we look at Jesus, we see clearly that there are two types of people in the world. There's Jesus and there's bad people. I guess which side of the the equation we fall on apart from Jesus. Which means that at some point, when we became Christians, it was a sinner who looks like us who did the things that we did, who lived life far apart from the way that God created us to live. At some point, that was us saying, All right, "I put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins." Last week, we also talked about a lady named Miriam, uh, who became a Christian in a Central Asian country where it's illegal to, be, to love Jesus. It's illegal to become a Christian, and she got baptized. And she went home and she told her husband and he beat her up and he cracked her skull and and he hurt her really badly. And so what we do as Christians is we do two things. One is uh, we send one of our pastors that we support in that country in there to take the kids and to take her to the hospital. So the kids grow up in a safe place and live in a safe place and the wife gets the healing that she needs. We do that practically, tangibly, and we also pray for the husband. We do that because Jesus models perfect forgiveness, models perfect restoration, tells us you pray for those people who persecute you, who hurt people, you forgive people who hurt you. Jesus demonstrates that for us perfectly, that on his way to the cross, he's being hurt on the cross. He's being killed. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so we model that by praying for the husband in this, that he's going to find the love and the freedom that Jesus brings to all of us, that Jesus brought to his wife, that one day Jesus is going to bring to his kids. And we pray and expect, pray expectantly, waiting for the day where he's going to make a U turn in his life. He's going to go from walking away from Jesus and hurting people to walking toward Jesus and restoring broken relationships. We're praying for the day where he's going to follow his wife to church with good motives, that he's going to find Jesus there who's going to forgive him of his sin that he's gonna find the God who came for the broken and vulnerable and also comes for those in power who are leaving them broken and vulnerable. We pray in expectancy for the day that he's gonna get baptized, for the day that he's gonna stand in front of his church and say, this is who I was, this is what I did, this is what God freed me from, this is where God reached into my life, showed me his love and freedom, and this is how Jesus has changed my life. For us as Jesus followers, we have to be able to look in the mirror, see who we were, and be able to say, this is not because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. This is because Jesus invaded my life. That where it says in verse 4, in verse 3, that Jesus died for my sins. That it was my sins that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sins that held Jesus on the cross. And that as Jesus' dead body was taken down off the cross, my sins were there too as Jesus was laid down in a tomb to be buried and never seen again, that my sins were there too. But as Jesus was raised from the dead by God's power in him and he walked out of his own grave, that my new life walked out with that also. And the good news is Jesus bringing us life and freedom and joy and love and peace and self-control that we didn't have before because the gospel is about what God has done for us, not about what we do. And at the center of that is the new life that Jesus has for us. And so it's a picture of love and freedom. And the gospel is good news of Jesus dying in our place. There's sin that's committed. There's there's blood that needs to be spilled for the forgiveness forgiveness of sin to initiate that process. Jesus says it's gonna be my blood, and that changes everything for us. When Micah, my five-year-old, was little, uh, one of the things that I wanted him to grow up understanding, like even littler than he is now, uh, was Jesus and the sacrifice of the cross and the way that that changes everything. So for him at five years old, my, like at one year old, uh, the decision, like I'm, I told Anna, I want to start singing in nothing but the blood of Jesus and have that being his lullaby every single night. Because seriously, what's going to make you feel better and sleep well at night than somebody's blood being poured out for you? Like that's just, but, (laughs) but he didn't speak English, so it's fine. Because he didn't speak anything. So, so I'm singing to him, uh, what can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because I want him to grow up knowing that. And we all need to be reminded of that. What's going to wash away our sins? What's going to make us whole again? Is it going to be trying harder? Is it going to be making better choices? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? No, the answer is that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that was poured out for all of us for all time. And it's the good news of Jesus dying in our place. As Andy Minio says, it's the hero dying for the villain. And we were the villain in that place. Like, we don't earn anything from God. It's God doing everything for us to bring us into relationship with him. It's the good news of Jesus dying in our place. And that makes it easy for us to understand and share because the gospel is good news for everyone to understand and share. Back around Christmas time we showed a video uh, of adults acting out a bunch of kid voices and we started this whole thing by gathering a bunch of the Sunnyside kids and saying, okay, tell me the story about Christmas. So like Andrew and Marina's kid was like spot on down to the detail dissecting the Greek and Hebrew words for us. My kids talked about Star Wars. That's fair. Uh, Kylo Ren, lightsabers, and all this stuff working its way into the Christmas story. So I'm reeling from this a little bit because after like a whole childhood of nothing but the blood of Jesus, we get the empire. Uh, and that's just not that great. So I'm sad. And one day, we're driving through the country, uh, and Micah says, hey, dad, it's a church. I'm like, how do you know? He doesn't say anything about Kylo Ren, lightsabers, the force, Return of the Jedi, none of that. He says, because there's a cross. I'm like, Yes there's life there. (laughs) We're on our way back. Call up Andrew and Marina, guess what? (laughs) So I decided I'm going to keep going with this. I'm going to see how this leads. And I'm like, well, dude, tell me about the cross. He's like, well, that's where Jesus died for us. What did that do? It forgave me of sin. I'm like, yes, this is good. This is good news for us to understand and share. We can start at five or you can start today. That the gospel is good news for us to be able to understand and share. It's not just for some people, you know. It's just like the love and freedom of Jesus, that it's for everyone. That it's God who took the first step for us while we were still living in darkness so we could be drawn to God and experience the life that Jesus has. The good news is for everyone to understand and to share. And lastly, the gospel is good news news that changes the direction of your life. Man, this is the result of the gospel is God has done everything for us and says, it's not about what you can do, it's about you living in that relationship as God has done everything. This is something that as we believe, it's gonna change everything. One of the verses we looked at last week, it says that we know that this is true because our old lives are gone and when we become new, when we become Christians, our new lives are here. We become new people because the good news changes the direction of our life. It takes out our stubborn hearts, it takes out our hard hearts, it takes out our ability to live for Jesus, and now all of a sudden we're living toward Jesus, we're walking toward Jesus, we're doing life with Jesus, with new power, with new desires to follow God and new desires to live differently than we used to because the gospel is good news that changes the direction of our life. That's the hope that we have in God. God inviting us into relationship by taking on our skin, to take on our sin, to live in our world, to live the life that we could never live so that when we stand before God at the end of our life, we have Jesus' perfection painted over us because Jesus allowed all of our sin to be painted over him. He gave up his life freely so that we could walk freely into the presence of God to no longer be viewed as addicts, abusers, liars, cheaters, murderers but to be viewed as sons and daughters of our King who loves us and gave himself for us. And that's the gospel for us to live in. Let's stand and let's pray.